Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. What's up, Stevens Creek? How are you guys doing? Man, it's good to see you guys. It's good to be back. If you don't know who I am, that's cool. I'm Dave. I used to work here. And... Man, it is just good to see you guys. Got the Chick-fil-A crew here. Man, I'm, the problem now, I'm going to be craving Chick-fil-A all day. And I'm going to leave and it's going to be closed. And that's just wrong. But tomorrow, I'm going to get it tomorrow. But we're honored to have you guys here. Honored to have all of you here. Whether it's your first time or you never miss a Sunday. Man, we're thrilled that you're here. It's, just a, it's a joy for Ashley and I and our, our boys to be back. This is, this is home. God's moved us to Texas. But, but this, is, this is always always our home. Our heart is here. And we're just thrilled, thrilled to be here. And Pastor Marty asked me to finish up the series you guys have been doing, which is a great series called You Asked For It, where you've been sending in questions uh, about anything, about faith, life, relationships, and saying, what does the Bible have to say about this topic? And I've been watching from a distance and really enjoying this series, and I was honored to come and, and do the last sermon in. I said, well, what, what topic do you want me to do? Because the way this, the series is structured, like, there's like a shorter sermon a little bit on one topic, and then at the end, uh, you kind of have like a lightning round and I go through some of these uh, like handwritten questions that you guys have sent in that are about all kinds of different topics and that's going to be a lot of fun. And I said, well, what's the topic for the main sermon? He said, we want you to preach about forgiveness, about forgiving others, forgiving yourself, what forgiveness is. And I said, well, listen, I'm happy to do it, but you might've forgotten. You asked me to come preach the Sunday after Christmas and you asked me to preach about forgiveness then. It was only like six months ago. And they were like, really? You preached about forgiveness? I'm like, Yes. And they were like, well, Dave, listen, we asked you to come the Sunday after Christmas because we all wanted the week off. So most of us weren't here. And of the people that were here, it was the Sunday after Christmas. Nobody was paying attention. So because it's about forgiveness, I forgive all of you for not paying attention last time I was here. And so there, there'll be a, some repeats, but it's, it's a new message too. But I think that this is one of those topics we can't hear about enough, honestly. We could just put this message on repeat in our minds because God's word has so much to teach us about what forgiveness is, what it's not, why it's important. And I'm convinced the longer I live that this is the one issue that depending on how people relate to forgiveness, this is the one issue that is the main difference between a bitter and angry life and a joyful and peaceful life. It's, it's, not, it's not all the other things in life. People think that their joy and their peace is a result of their circumstances. It's not a result of your circumstances. It's a result of how you respond to your circumstances and if you understand what forgiveness really, really is. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to dive into that, and then we'll get to some of these questions at the end, which are about a whole bunch of different topics, and so we'll have, have fun with that. So I'm just going to dive straight in today. I know some of you guys like to fill in the blanks, and so we got some fill in the blanks in your, uh, your worship guide that you were handing when you came in. And the first one is this, kind of defining forgiveness right out of the gate. Forgiveness is a choice to offer restoration instead of revenge and to pursue peace instead of punishment. So, what is forgiveness? Look at first at what it's not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Sometimes when I, we say, like, well, I can't forgive that person, I think what we're really saying is, I, I still feel the same anger toward them. I still don't like them. I still feel like they haven't suffered enough. You've got to remove the word feeling from your vocabulary as it relates to forgiveness, because you're not going to feel like forgiving ever. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. 
It has to be a choice. You see, thankfully, God's word never tells us to follow our feelings because your feelings will tend to lead you astray. People say, I'm just following my heart. Well, it's usually a bad idea. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. So only follow your heart when your heart is following Jesus. Only follow your feelings when your feelings are following your convictions, your commitments, your principles. And if you'll follow your commitments and you'll follow the truth of God's word, the beautiful thing is your feelings will usually catch up eventually. So you make a choice. I'm going to choose to trust God. I'm going to choose to pursue restoration instead of revenge. That means if, if someone that I'm in a relationship with, someone that I want to keep a relationship with has wronged me, instead of taking the pain that their actions caused and making them feel that same pain and trying to make them feel even worse and getting a satisfaction of watching them suffer at my hand, I'm going to instead trust this pain to God and I'm going to pursue restoration in this relationship. I'm going to give them an opportunity to rebuild the trust that they broke because forgiveness and trust are two different things and this is a whole separate sermon. But forgiveness has to be given instantly because grace can't be earned. Trust does not have to be given instantly because trust can only be earned. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that you're automatically trusting them again. It means you're giving them the opportunity to rebuild the trust that they broke. And then you're going to pursue peace instead of punishment. God wants your life to have peace. And if you're focused on revenge, you'll never have peace. Revenge might make for interesting plots in action movies, but in real life, it will destroy you. It will not help you in any way whatsoever. That's why God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's the only one who's wise enough to deal with it correctly and to dish out punishment where it needs to be dished out. We need to be about the business of peace. And when we make peace our business, peace will happen. And here's, here's the good part. There's nobody on earth, nobody on earth has the power to take your peace away. And once you realize that, man, you'll live with a power and a freedom that God wants you to live with. But if you live like a victim and you live like that everything that somebody does to you has the power to steal your peace or steal your joy, then you're, you're just going to live in chaos. Your life's not going to be built on any foundation. But when you realize, no, wait a second, peace is something that's a gift from God. And as long as I'm trusting in God and as long as I'm allowing his presence to guide me, then I can always have peace even when there's chaos around me. When Jesus taught about peace, the shalom was the Hebrew concept of peace that he taught about. It wasn't the absence of something. In the English language, we say peace, we usually mean the absence of war, the absence of conflict. But in Jesus' language, it really meant the presence of something. The presence of God's power and grace in your life that's so much bigger and so much stronger than whatever conflict you're facing. And because of that, you can live with shalom, you can live with peace, even if there's chaos all around you. You, you could be at war. You, you, could have, you, you could be in the middle of a, a bankruptcy. You could be in the middle of cancer. And you can have peace because the prince of peace is within you. And so that's where we have to begin. We have to know that Jesus is our source, that he is with us, that he is for us. And even though life is going to have troubles and struggles and injustices and people are going to hurt us and people are going to wrong us and we're going to make bad choices too, that the God of peace wants to bring grace to us and he wants to extend grace through us. And if we'll be a willing vessel of that grace, we'll be able to live at peace. It's not a result of your circumstances. And I'm telling you, once you, once you really open up the truth of God's word and discover that one thing, that I can have peace and I can have joy, no matter what the weather is outside, no matter what the doctor's report said, no matter how much money is in the bank account, I can have peace and I can have joy because it's not built on any of those fickle things. It's built on the unchanging promises and presence of God in my life. 
And once we start there, forgiveness becomes a whole lot easier. And as you see in Scripture, Jesus wants forgiveness to be a priority for all of us. It was certainly a priority for him. In fact, he came to this earth to extend it and gave his very life to make it possible. And then he wants us to be about the business of bringing restoration to relationships the way that he made restoration possible in our relationship with God. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, at the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come offer your sacrifice to God. So Jesus is saying, you could be sitting in the middle of a church service, and that's good, that's an important thing to do, glad that you're there, but then if you remember, wait a second, there's somebody that I've offended, there's someone that I've wronged, or there's someone that I need to seek forgiveness from, or that I need to extend forgiveness to, it's okay to get up and leave in the middle of church and to go take care of that, because taking care of that is, a, is more an act of worship than sitting in church. I mean, Jesus is teaching us this. He's saying, if, if you really want to live a life of peace and of worship and of connectedness to God, then it's, it's got to be extended into your relationships. It's got to be extended into the way we give forgiveness, the way that we pursue healing in our relationships, the way that we forgive others. And if we're not doing those things, then really we're missing the point. And we're never going to have the kind of peace that God wants us to have. And we're going to have this broken mentality that thinks that, that we're a victim and the world's out to get us and, and all these things that are happening that, that we don't deserve. And we're going to miss the freedom that God wants to give us. Even in, this, even in this broken world where one day he will make all things new and set all things right for eternity. But in the, in the interim period, in this life, there's going to be injustice and there's going to be hardship. But we can still have peace and joy even in the middle of it. And yet we hold on to grudges. And why do we hold on to grudges sometimes? I think that there's a couple reasons. Number one, it's, it can be intoxicating to have hatred towards someone. And the reason why it's intoxicating is because that hatred, that grudge, it gives you the illusion of control over someone or over a situation who made you feel out of control. Maybe there was someone in your past maybe far past, maybe your childhood, and they wounded you or abused you in the worst kind of ways imaginable, and you never felt more powerless. And when you replay the punishment of that person in your mind and your hatred to that person in your mind, for a moment, it can make you feel in control. It can make you feel like you've reclaimed that power. But it's only an illusion, and it's poison that you're drinking. This is what really happens. Here's the principle if you're filling in the blanks. Holding a grudge doesn't make you strong, it makes you bitter. And forgiving doesn't make you weak, it sets you free. Bitterness is not the same thing as strength. It's just weakness with anger attached. God wants you to be strong. And a strong person is at peace. So forgiving sometimes requires letting go. Letting go of, of a wound, of an offense, of someone who's never actually going to apologize. Some of you, you know, we dig in our heels and we're like, I'm not going to forgive that person. They're not even sorry. They have, they, they've never even apologized. Well, the most Christian thing you can do is accept an apology before it comes. Or accept an apology that might never come. Because if you're waiting on their apology, you're still giving that person the power. 
You're giving the person who hurt you the power because you're saying, until you do this, I'm powerless to find peace. And God doesn't want your peace in the hands of anybody but him. There is no person on earth who has the power to steal your peace and let you, unless you give them that power. God's the only one who wants, who, who wants to be the one to, to give you peace, and he's always offering it freely for those who will take it. But we've got to be willing to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to let your grace flow through me. I'm going to let your grace just extend into me, and, I, and I'm going to forgive. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to forgive. And as I choose to forgive, I'm asking that you would extend forgiveness to me in areas of my life that I've blown it, and you would help me find peace. And forgiving someone doesn't mean what they did didn't hurt. It doesn't mean that what they did wasn't wrong. It doesn't even mean that, that they don't need to face serious consequences for what they did. But it means that you're not going to be controlled by it any longer. You're not going to be defined by it any longer, and you're going to trust that pain to God. But what we do when somebody hurts us is sometimes we'll say, all right, God, I'm going to trust this to you. This wound, this person who hurt me, I'm going to trust it to you. I'm going to just, I'm going to lay it at your feet, Lord. I'm going to lay it at your feet. That's good. I feel free. I'm free now. Take a few steps back. All right, I'm not even thinking about that anymore, Lord. Then you just keep looking at it, looking at God. It's been a day. You haven't given them cancer yet, Lord. I'm kind of waiting. They haven't been in a car wreck or anything. I saw them on Facebook last night. They were having fun. It's been two days. Two days, Lord. What's, what's going on? You know what? You're, you're terrible at this, God. I'm taking this back. I'm taking this back. I deal with this on my own. We do this. You know, maybe not in that dramatic a fashion, but we do it all the time. We say, oh, I've given that to Jesus. No, we haven't. We just want, we just want to be able to complain that God's doing it wrong. And then we take it back. And taking something back from God is stealing, and he doesn't like it. When you give something to God, let him keep it. He, and trust his timing. Trust his time. And stop stalking that person on Facebook and seeing what they're doing anyway. It's not doing you any good. Just God wants you to live at peace. He wants you to extend forgiveness. Some of you need to forgive someone who's dead. You're holding a grudge against somebody who's dead. You're never going to hear them say, I'm sorry. And from beyond the grave, you're letting someone steal your peace and control you. God wants you to live in freedom. Stop living your life to prove somebody wrong. Stop living your life to, you know, just live and don't let anybody but Jesus be the one to control your destiny and control your peace. And if you do, then you're letting that person or that offense become an idol in your life. And God wants you to live in freedom. And as another sobering warning, well, I'll just read this. To me, this is one of the like, so, most sobering verses in the whole Bible. If you really think about what Jesus is saying here. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. He goes on to say, like, the measure of grace you extend to others is the measure you get. We love the parts of the Bible that talk about how we have this infinite, limitless access to God's grace. Because we all need it. We're all messed up. We've all sinned, all of us. But then we kind of forget we don't highlight in the Bible, at least not in mine, it's not highlighted, it probably should be, that we only get as much grace as we give. We don't have the option as a Christian to hold on to a grudge because it blocks the flow of grace in our life, which is the lifeline for our very soul. And so we've got, we've got to be willing to forgive. Forgiving, forgiving others is really just an act of trusting God. It's not an act of trusting the person who hurt you. It's an act of trusting God. Saying, God, I'm trusting this person to you. I'm trusting this offense to you. I'm trusting any kind of punishment that needs to be dished out to you. 
and you give me the wisdom to know how to move forward and maybe put healthy boundaries in place if this is an unhealthy person that could wound me again, it's because you haven't called me to be anybody's doormat, but help me, Lord, to know how to move forward in a way where this person's actions, past, present, or future, are not controlling me. I want to only be led and guided by your spirit. I want to live at peace and wholeness and freedom, and I want to be an extension of your grace. And if we'll do that, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God will set you free. And if we don't do that, bitterness will sink in. I mean, it's a real path. And I'll give you an example of uh, what these two different paths can look like. Uh, From a friend of mine, a family member, a family friend named Derek Elam. This was in the 1990s. You know, you you lovely young people don't remember the 90s. It was a magical time. Um, We had the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and Michael Bolton. We had, uh, you know, the 90s were a time... You, when you went to the bathroom, there wasn't anything to look at when you sat there. You, know, you remember this? That there wasn't a phone to look at? You just, this had nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just remembering <laughs> that there was no technology. Like, people would call your home phone. We had phones at our home that were attached to a wall. And we didn't have caller ID, which meant every time the phone rang, it was a surprise. Like, who could it be? It could be anybody. It could be Grandma. It could be a telemarketer. And you, you, it was a gamble every time you picked up the phone. Like, it was, it was just a different time. So, uh, yeah, I was just reminiscing up here and realizing that I'm, that I'm old. Minimum wage was four twenty-five when I worked at Little Caesars Pizza. I'm, I'm telling you, like, I've, I've got some stories. So this was the 90s, the late 90s. Actually, it was probably early 2000s. Derek had grown up in my youth group and... Um, Great guy. Everybody loved Derek. He graduated from the University of Kentucky, and he was working at a, a, a CD store. This was another thing we had in the 90s. CD stores, <laughs> they don't exist anymore, but it was a whole store of compact discs, which is what we, we would put our music on. Uh, so just a very different time. So he worked in one of these stores. He was saving money for, uh, for moving on, and he was going to move to Nashville. He loved music. He was going to live with some buddies from Kentucky. They had an apartment picked out. He was just ready to, to start his life. I mean, this guy had, had the whole life in front of him. It was his last week of working at Sammy's Music Shop, one block away from the University of Kentucky's campus. And a, a young man came into this little music shop. Derek was the only one there at the time. He was working behind the counter. And, you know, he, he demanded money from the registry, pulled a gun on my friend, Derek opened up the register and took a step back and he gave him all the money in the register. It was like $40. And the guy shot my friend. So I get the call and I go to the University of Kentucky Medical Center and and I see all these people I knew from from youth group, from growing up. I see Derek's family. And I go into this little room and and my friend, so full of life, hours before, is now, you know, he's, he's hooked up to life support and they're just these machines are keeping him alive until everybody can say their goodbyes. And in that moment, like nothing in life made sense. Like this doesn't make sense. This, this is, there's no justice here. Like the instinct is to feel rage and anger. But I'll tell you the reason why I didn't is because Derek's mom, Derek's mom who was absolutely heartbroken, had a peace that could only be explained by Jesus. It wasn't this like counterfeit, like out of her mind, psychotic with grief kind of peace that wasn't real. She was clear-headed. 
And with tears in her eyes and a clear and strong resolve in her voice, she was encouraging everybody there. She was reminding them about the goodness of God. She was reminding them that, that this isn't the end of anything but the beginning and that Derek is with Jesus and one day we'll be with him, be with him both again. And she was, she was ministering to people. She was praying with people and I'll never forget it. On the other extreme, I'll also never forget Derek's dad because it was a different path. Derek's parents were divorced at the time. Derek's dad was also there. And he was so enraged and out of his mind enraged that he had to be sedated there at the hospital. And that path that both of them, both those parents who faced the exact same tragedy, they both chose a different path and they both stayed on that same path. And as weeks went by and as months went by past the funeral, they, they, they stayed, and Derek's mom continued to grow, even in her grief, more and more at peace, closer to Jesus than she'd ever been because she recognized God is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. She found her peace in the Prince of Peace. She was ministering to the people in her life. She was use, looking for opportunities to share her testimony through Derek's testimony. She was leading Derek's friends to the Lord because these young men and women who were far from God, this tragedy became a wake-up call that kind of brought them back and they wanted the kind of peace they saw in Derek's mom. I ran into Derek's dad about a year after it happened. He had aged at least a decade. And there was still this, this anger and this angst and this bitterness that was just withering him into just a shell of the person that he once was. And I just, I'll, I'll never forget that the picture of what forgiveness and peace looks like and what bitterness and rage looks like. And even after the young man that shot and killed their son was apprehended, and yes, Derek's mom was, was glad that he was now behind bars and that in, 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 in terms of the justice system, justice had been served, but she refused to hate him. She prayed for him that he would find the peace that only Jesus could bring and a freedom even from inside a prison cell that would set his soul free for eternity and that one day, one day in heaven, there'd be a sweet reunion between him and her son as brothers in Christ. But all Derek's dad could do was, was rage at the thought of him. I'm telling you, same tragedy, two different choices. Your peace is not determined by your circumstances. It's determined by a God who's bigger than your circumstances. And we've got to forgive and it's not for the sake of the person you're forgiving nearly as much as it's for your sake. When God tells you to do something, it's always for your good. It's always for your good. And so just trust him. Again, forgiveness is an act of trusting God, not trusting the person who hurt you. So what do you do when you are the one that has to forgive yourself, okay? This is, this is like a, a separate issue. But this is one of the main themes of these questions. Like, well, how do I forgive myself? I'm always beating myself up. I'm, I've made too many mistakes. I've, I've blown it too many times. All right. Here's what you need to know about forgiving yourself. God never calls you to live in shame. There's a big difference between conviction and shame. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction, which is a little sting you feel in your conscience when you're doing something wrong, and it's God's way of saying, that's hurting you, that's hurting others. Turn from that. The big Bible word for turning from that is called repenting. It means turning away from the thing that's hurting you and hurting others and getting back on the path that God has for you because that's the best path. And sometimes he'll let you feel the sting that your sin is causing so that it'll turn you toward the life and the hope and the grace that God wants. Even the pain God allows us to feel is for our good. That's conviction. Shame is something different. Shame doesn't say, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. And shame 
is satanic. It really is of Satan. It's that voice that lies to you and tells you God can never do anything with someone like you. You could never be forgiven. You've blown it too many times. You know, you, you're a loser. You're a failure. You might as well just give up. And we just sit in shame and we think, well, I mean, maybe I'll kind of barely get into heaven. You know, I'll just come sit in church and I won't ever do anything or serve anywhere because God could never do anything with someone like me because I'm just not a good person. If these people knew what I'd done, then nobody would want me here. God probably doesn't even want me here. And we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up. And we think we're being humble. And this is the lie of shame, that it tells you that beating yourself up over and over again is actually what you deserve and what needs to happen. But as a Christian, beating yourself up, well, it's actually the most prideful thing you can do. Here's why. Here's the principle. Forgiving yourself is simply receiving the gift Christ died to give. Punishing yourself over sins Christ died to forgive is like telling Jesus his sacrifice wasn't enough. Have you ever thought of it that way? When you beat yourself up for something, Jesus literally took a beating to forgive. You're looking your Savior in the face and saying, the blood you shed might be enough for some people, but it's not enough for me. I gotta add to it. I gotta add to what you did because it wasn't enough. I mean, think about how insulting a thought that is. It's not humility. This is what Satan likes to do, is he likes to twist things, speak half-truths that really are dangerous lies, say, oh yeah, what you did, man, it's terrible. Yeah, well, what we've all done is terrible. That's why Jesus had to die in our place to take the punishment for it, which means we're forgiven and we're set free. And so to keep beating ourselves up means we're not receiving that gift Jesus died to give. We're telling Jesus the sacrifice wasn't enough. We need to let God be the one to define us. Not our past, not our sins, not what anybody else says about us. Because God has a plan for your life, a beautiful plan. And he doesn't want you to live in shame. Now, I, I remember kind of wrestling with this shame issue when I first sort of felt the calling into the ministry. Um, and I was like the least qualified person to be a preacher. And it was my sophomore year of college. And I was uh, at a little Christian school. And... This campus, ma- campus pastor at our, our school said, listen, we're putting together a little campus ministry team, uh, like four or five students. You guys are going to travel around, go to like youth camps and little churches and different things and do little services. And di- what, you're just going to do all kinds of ministry, but we need a preacher for this team, somebody to, to actually put together messages and preach. And I feel like you need to be the preacher on this team. And here's the deal. Like, I'd never preached a sermon. I was terrified of the idea And I was the least qualified person to stand in front of anybody and preach, okay? I was looking back on where I was as a sophomore in college. I was a wreck. Like, my life was a mess. Um, On one hand, I did love God, and I wanted wanted God's plan for my life. But at the same time, I had, like, self-sabotaged myself over and over again because I felt like, well, God can't do anything with somebody like me. So what's the point? I think I was probably depressed and I was self-medicating that depression in all kinds of unhealthy habits and unhealthy relationships and unhealthy thought processes. And I think when somebody was asking me to preach, you know, I could almost hear Satan laughing like, are they serious? Do they know you? This is the most ridiculous thing I'd ever, ever heard. There's no way you can be a preacher. This is, this is my first thought. This is my first thought 
when I got asked to be a preacher on this team? Well, I guess I'm going to have to quit smoking. You can laugh. It's funny. Because I was picturing myself, they're like uh, the youth camp. Hey, kids, uh, turn over to First John. I got a real good sermon for you tonight. It's going to be good. My life was a wreck. And so it really brought me to a crossroads where I thought, I could kind of keep living in shame and self-destruction. Or, like, God, I remember sort of praying this prayer, like, God, listen, I'm a mess. Uh, they asked me to, to preach. It must have really, really been scraping the bottom of the barrel. Um, do you want me to do this? Because I know I'm not qualified. You know that I'm, I'm right. And I, I really felt, and I've never heard God, like, audibly speak, but as I'm trying to pray these honest prayers and, and, and search his word, I just kind of felt God saying, listen, I know, you're, I know you're broken, but I only use broken people. And if you will trust me with your broken pieces, and if you'll let me work on all of that and help you get on a path that's, that's healthier, and if you'll stand before people humbly and you'll tell the truth and you'll point them to the truth of my scripture, and they'll look at you and say, well, if God can do something with that guy... Surely he can do something with me. God said, if you'll do all that, just be honest and trust me, then I'll do the rest in your life and through your message. And so that's what I've been trying to do ever since. And that's what God wants to do in your life. And it looks different. It may be not be in preaching sermons for you, but he wants to preach a sermon through all of our lives. He wants all of us to step out of whatever unhealthy junk we're in and to, and to walk in this path of, freedom and peace and forgiveness and healing that he has for us and to not live in shame and not believe the lie that God can never do anything with somebody like me or I need to just go through my whole life beat myself up because I deserve it to embrace that freedom and peace that he gives and then yes if we've hurt people to make it our mission as as much as we can to make right whatever we've broken but to know ultimately even that's in God's hands God wants you to live in peace he wants you to live in freedom. So as it, as it deals with your own sins and forgiving yourself, here are a few verses that can help. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. I love this from Romans. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. No condemnation. I love that. No condemnation. That, it's not a little condemnation. No con- that means no shame, no guilt, no punishment. That means Jesus gave you a full pardon. Stop living like you're on probation. It means no condemnation. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of God that Jesus gave his life and blood to seal and secure for you when we just put our life in his hands. Say, Lord, here I am, broken, messed up. Please forgive me. I received that gift. And then work through me. Make me the person I'm meant to be. And even while I'm a mess in progress... Let me be a blessing to others as you work through me. And he will. He really, really will. And then the more we're aware of the grace that he's extended in our own lives, the easier it is to forgive the people who've wronged us because they're broken too. So one, one other principle. I think this, this kind of sums up the way that we're supposed to treat people who've hurt us and people who haven't for that matter. Don't treat people how they treat you. Treat people how God treats you. We live in the world that keeps score. You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. 
You cut me off in traffic, I'm going to wait till you park and I'm going to key your car. <laughs> but God's way is better. Listen, Jesus is saying, I, I don't want you to treat people how they treat you. I want you to be my light, my representative. I want you to treat people how I treat you. And in case you've forgotten, I forgive you when you are running the other direction and really making bad choices. I love you when you're unlovable. I give myself as a sacrifice to you when you're in no way to repay me. And I want you to go do the same for others. If we'll do it, I'm telling you, it really will set you free. And it's not something we can do in our own power, by the way. God always calls us to things that we can't do in our own strength because he wants us to rely on his strength. But we, we quit as soon as we're like, oh, I can't do that. Well, of course you can't. But you can do all things through Christ. And so the moment you say, Lord, I can't do this, he says, I know. That's why I called you to do it is because you have to trust me. You have to rely on my strength and we'll do it together. So here's one final verse. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. I love this first part of this verse. It doesn't say live at peace with everyone because some people won't live at peace with you. They just won't. And that's, that's between them and God. That's not on you. The Bible never calls you to do something that relies on what other people might or might not do. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. I'm telling you, it's hard, but if we do it, if we do it, it'll set us free. Now, I preach too long, which I tend to do, because it's just what preachers do. We can't help it. Again, I'm working on it, Lord. At least I don't smoke anymore. So, <laughs> kids don't smoke. It's a terrible habit. It's terrible. It's disgusting. Even in the 90s, it was. All right. I'm going to get to just a couple of these because there's like just not much time. But these are really good questions. What a fun series. All right, let me lump together a few topics. A lot of these are about like, how do you deal with uh, toxic people, toxic family members, people that you can't really escape because they're related to you, but are unhealthy um, and have a lot of drama. You could do a whole sermon series about this. But best advice I could give is to point you to a resource that's been helpful um, for us, you know, for Ashley and me, and it's also helped many others. It's a book called Boundaries by Drs. John Townsend and Henry Cloud. Two Christian men, brilliant guys, a lot of research that talk about how, how to create loving and safe boundaries that are going to protect you and protect your loved ones and make a, make a healthy relationship possible with somebody who's very unhealthy or temporarily maybe even move away and not have an active relationship with that person love them from a distance, and, and how to navigate when and how to make those decisions, um, it's really, really a good resource that can put some tools in your hands over a situation that can make you feel powerless. Question about, um, okay, I'm in, my, I'm in my 30s, and I'm single, and I'm waiting for God to bring a spouse, but it's hard to wait. Um, a, lot, a lot of folks, you know, write, write us. We do marriage ministry, and a lot of folks write us and say, well, I, I want to be married, but I'm in this, sing, this season of singleness and in a world full of compromise. You know, what, what do I do with that? First off, you've got to know that God never calls you to take shortcuts or to compromise his principles to get to his blessings. And so don't compromise your principles as it relates to relationships. Don't settle for someone who's going to try to pull you away from Jesus. Don't settle for someone who's going to try to make you... Um, compromise on, on the, the boundaries that you know that he has put in store for you to protect your heart. Because if you do, it just creates more baggage. Don't let a fear of loneliness become more powerful than a trust in God. 
and God has got a good plan for you. Um, so a resource that could help you with that, we've connected to a, a lady named Kate who has a really popular podcast for Christian singles called The Heart of Dating. We did a, an interview um, on her podcast and she's got a whole community that she's formed as a, as a woman in her 30s who's single and said, I'm not just gonna like wait around for a spouse. Like I wanna use this, this time of singleness and the time that I have to really minister to others and to create community and to be a blessing and she's done that and really created a really vibrant community of other Christian singles. So I would encourage you to connect with her. You can look at that podcast and learn more. Man, there are so many good questions. I wish I hadn't preached so long because these are all better than what I was saying. Um, but you guys look really hungry, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep going. But let's do this. Um, I'm gonna say a prayer for you. Before I pray, I just, I wanna thank, I wanna thank this church for the grace and the love they've extended to my family and me. Um, man, from the beginning, you know, we, we got here like 11 years ago. And, and honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. So I, was, I wasn't, I didn't feel that far removed from that, that college kid whose life was broken, who was just trying to figure out how to, how to preach and how to, how to follow the Lord. And this church has offered so much grace and so much love and encouragement to my family that really has been a catalyst for, for all the doors that, that God has opened for us to be able to minister to marriages and do, do what we do now. And every time we come back home, uh, our hearts are full just to be here, be in our church family. So I just want to publicly thank you guys for your prayers and support and your Facebook messages and all of that. But um, I'm out of time, so I'm going to say a prayer for you. Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the impact they've had, you know, in my own family's life. I pray for those who, who are here today, though, and they don't feel like they have that kind of community. They feel like just a face in the crowd. They, they, don't, they don't know where they fit in or belong. I pray that they would find uh, community and love first and foremost in you, Jesus. And if anybody's here today that doesn't know you in a personal saving way, that today would be the day they say, Jesus, please forgive me. I know I need forgiveness. I need a savior. Would you save me, adopt me into your family, put me on the path you have for me and make me the person I'm meant to be. And for all of us, Lord, help us to find our identity in you. Help us to have the strength through your grace to forgive others and to forgive ourselves and to live in the freedom and the peace that you've created for us. We love you. We thank you that you give us so much undeserved grace and love. Thank you for calling us your children. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.